0: Welcome to the November 19th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and the sermon is entitled, Suffering Will Come, delivered today by Pastor Jeffrey Campbell. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Let's go there together today. 1 Peter chapter number 3. As we continue on in our series, Joy for the Journey, there's a lot in our journey through life that we get focused on. And today's message brings back into focus Jesus Christ. As I wrote this message uh, over a month ago, I wrote these words. This has been one of the hardest weeks in ministry. I I think I could write that with every sermon. I'm going to be honest with you. But after that, I wrote and made a note that as I began this particular sermon, Israel is under attack it's hard it's hard when you don't understand the the suffering that people go through and that lives are affected by and in particular in where we are in scripture it is a group of believers that are on the run because of their faith they are sojourners they don't have a home they are just wandering through life and as peter writes to that group of believers he reminds them that, guess what? I will not take your suffering away. We transition in our scripture this morning from that of being submissive to that of those who suffer. And so when we think in our minds the great suffering that is upon our world in today's time, we, got, we have our eyes on the world way too much. And I'm going to say this, get our let's get our eyes off of the world and off of the news and get them on Jesus first. And from there, once we are focused on Jesus, from there we are able to deal with the things that come our way. Today, this starts at the pulpit. And that is this, what has your attention? What has your focus what in your life are you going through that pulls your eyes off of a Savior? So today, we're going to take and break open the Word of God together. First Peter chapter number 3, we're going to start with verse number 13. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. The first point that I want to give you, you'll get four of them today, is this. As we think about suffering will come, point number one is this. You are secure. You are secure. When we think about the security that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's amazing how His Word speaks that we cannot be pulled from His clutches. Once we belong to Him, we are His. But here is the truth of the matter that maybe believers need to hear today, is He is sovereign over yours and my life as believers. I grew up. Quoting this scripture over and over and over from Romans. And it said this. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who could be against us? I can remember taking that back foot in the batter's box. And scratching out a deep place in the batter's box against a good pitcher. And I can remember saying, if God is for me, who could be against me? I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail today. Because I probably struck out, okay? But maybe today. Christians around this room and Christians watching live stream just need to dig in a little bit. Not necessarily in the batter's box, but in the Word of God. And remember that no matter what you are going through, that you can rem- be reminded that God has control over it. And so many of us drop the bat and we walk away and we get out of the batter's box. And it gives somebody else a turn because they're better or they can handle it or they're, they're smarter than we are Friends, that's not what we're called to do. Here's what I want you to know. Every one of you that claims Jesus Christ as your Savior, that we are to live for Him and we are to love Him as I challenged each one of those candidates to do. But we need to remember that God is in control. Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Friends, that's the attitude that some of us need to face sufferings with. Because there is nothing that this world can harm you with that God cannot protect you from. And so here's what I want you to know, Christians. There are a lot of us that are getting out of the batter's box because we want somebody else who is more qualified to take the swing. What does it mean to our persecuted people? They could not point to someone else. They could not give that opportunity to somebody else. They had to take it on. And Peter's writing for encouragement in these words. He says, who is he that will harm you? If ye be followers of that which is good or godly. What can these evil things do? Because you belong to me. Look at verse number 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake. Happy are ye. Stop right there. You may look at me and say Pastor Jeffrey that's crazy. I agree it is crazy. Because what Peter is saying. If you are suffering in moments of righteousness. Or for Christ's sake. You should be happy. Happy or blessed because of it. We often don't have that outlook on things, do we? If you are like your pastor, your prayer may start like this. Okay, God, what did I do wrong? As if we think we've done something wrong to deserve punishment or suffering But here's what I want you to rest assured in. Throughout our lives, God is putting us through the press that glory and his glory may come out of it. We were not made to live for ourselves. And so friends today, when we think of what Peter is writing and who he is writing to, he is in writing encouraging those who are suffering to keep on keeping on. Because God is getting glory. The reality of these believers that experience suffering. And I'm looking at some beautiful people today. And here's what I want you to know. I know that behind the makeup and the hairdos and the nice clothes, there's hurt that is there. And maybe even in your life, you may say, God, why did I have to go through this? Or why is this happening to me? Here's what I want you to rest assured in as you read this word today. Verse number 14 says, Be not afraid of their terror and neither be troubled. God is telling these people, I've got it all under control. So today, the battles that you are facing may not necessarily be for your life yet. Some of them may be physical, some of them may be spiritual, some of them may, may be emotional or mental. But here's what I want you to rest assured God has control. And you need to trust in Him, not in yourself to deal with that. The reminder that He is aware and He is in control of great things that are happening behind the scenes. I've used this many times. We only get the field view. When you're on the field, you only see what's happening right in front of you. You can't see the big picture. God is in the sky. God is in the blimp. And he sees the big picture of everything that is going on. And we must submit control of that to him. Christians, we need to remember that we are secure in Christ. And in Christ alone. The meaning behind Uh, Verse number 14, if you go to the original Greek, has those of zealots or political uh, people that are, are full of passion about political parties, and we're not going there today. But here's what I want you to say. If we are truly passionate people about our faith, if we are people of deep faith seeking to follow the Lord, there is nothing to fear, and there is nothing greater than our God. But so many times we put our focus on the terror or the trouble that awaits. And so the encouragement is here is just lift your head a little higher to God Almighty. He will take care of you. Look at verse number 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When suffering comes, what is the greatest thing that you need? You need to sanctify the Lord in your heart. That's point number two. And by sanctifying the Lord in your heart, then you're able to minister to others And to speak truth of God. We could spend a couple of weeks on this one verse. Because in the root of this one verse is the word apologia. It is the word that we get apologetics or defense of our faith. Many of you may know this. Some of you may not. We have a a Sunday school class that teaches apologetics in this church. And it's a great opportunity I took it in in school and it's a great eye-opening experience. But here's the idea behind that verse. The child of God must separate or sanctify or set apart that place in the heart that God is on the throne. Now picture a people who are fighting, literally fighting for their life. They are sojourners. They don't have a home they are newly converted believers, and, and that's all they know, and their lives are on the line. It's not told right here, but what will later happen is these people, they would be running and be blamed for fires, and they would be, their lives would be in danger of death. And Peter is saying this, in the midst of your suffering, Christ must be on the throne. And when Christ is on the throne, then here is the reason that you are on the run. You need to be ready to give an answer of the hope that you believe in. Here's where God tore me apart. Many of us that claim to be Christians today are not ready. Are not ready. Look at verse number 15 again. It says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's the first thing you need to do is to make him, the, let him sit on the throne of your heart. Be ready always to give an answer. Are you ready? Are you personally ready? Don't say, hey, I'm going to phone a friend, call Pastor Jeffrey. He'll tell you exactly what I believe. That's not how the Christian life works. The first thing you need to see is this. You must be ready to offer the hope that you have in Christ. And many of our Christians today can't do that. They can point you to a time or they can point you to the baptismal waters. But many of them have walked away from the hope that rests solely in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And friends, here is the challenge today for Clifford Baptist Church. You may have shown up not ready, but the challenge is as you leave, make sure you are ready to give a defense of your faith. You don't have to be a theological expert. You don't even have to be a Bible expert. You just need to know why people need Jesus. Well, you may say people need Jesus because the world is in the shape. That's not a reason. You need Jesus because He is the Savior of the world. He will change your life if you so allow Him to do so. If you say yes to the Holy Spirit coming into your life, you must be ready. All right, I've got to go. Point number two, not only you must be ready... But look at the second part of that verse. It says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Be ready. The second point is this. To give an answer to every man. In my Bible, that word is circled. Because I believe every person deserves to hear what Jesus has done in my life. And if I'm not ready to give an answer, they will not be ready to hear. Be ready to give an answer to every man. Every man. Every woman. It may be that person that you're sitting beside today in church. I believe there are unsaved people here today. It may be that man or woman that lives in the same house that you live in. It may be that man or woman that shares a workplace environment with you. It may be that total stranger in Walmart. Or the elevator in the hospital is the best place to tell people. You got them for 10 seconds and they have to listen. (laughs) I say that jokingly but that's totally true. You will be surprised who God will allow you to share an elevator with. In those moments, it's not just to ask, what floor are you going to? Which button shall I push push for you? It's about starting a conversation of how great God is to you today. And from there, you can move along. Be ready to give a word to every man. The end of that verse says this. The reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The way that you do it matters. The way that you give the answer matters. I don't believe in you take this book and you beat somebody over the head with it. That is not the way to get somebody to come to church or somebody to listen to you about Jesus. But the way that you do that is know this word here so that when you are conversing with them, it comes out in a spirit of love and grace and mercy. Meekness and fear are the way that the Bible tells us that we need to be ready to deliver our answer. The heart that has the news of a great God shares that great love out of the well of that heart. It is not my job to twist somebody's arm to Jesus. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. It is my job to sow the seed and give the answer. It is not my job to save anybody. Jeffrey has never saved one person. And here's the truth. I didn't even save myself. Jesus did. It's not in what we do. You cannot put all your eggs in that basket. But it is our responsibility to be ready to give that answer when the moment comes. I will tell you as your pastor today, there are times that I've kicked myself over and over knowing I've missed an opportunity. And here's my my logical theory on that. I would rather make somebody mad telling them how how good Jesus is than to keep my mouth shut and not tell anybody at all. Because then I carry that guilt and I carry that weight. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, in our heart, in that throne room of our heart, Jesus Christ should sit on it as Christians. And out of that throne room comes the love that He has for us as well as He has for others. So my prayer today is that we will sanctify the Lord in our heart. Look at verse number 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you your good conversation in Christ. Point number three is this. People will speak evil. I've learned in a year and a half, you can't control what people say. Even the pastor has no control. And I'm going to be honest, I barely have control over what comes out of my mouth. I don't want control over what comes out of yours, okay? How many of you feel the same way? If you were honest, you would say yes. 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 What comes out of my mouth? But we get so worried about what others say. That tongue, James says the tongue is what steers the ship, but also what wrecks the ship. It is the fire that could be used for revival, or it could be the fire that burns the place down. The tongue is that powerful. But having a good filter is a good thing. The Bible speaks in verse number 16, having a good conscience. Now, I want you to know the Bible speaks of the conscience in a couple of different places. And I view the conscience as the filter on the things that come out and the things that Jeffrey needs to do. It is God's guiding principle in our lives. You may chalk it up to a bad feeling. Oh, I don't feel good about this. That's your conscience. Oh, I feel great about this. That's your conscience. A good conscience. Peter says this, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Because of your good conscience and your good conversation in Christ, they can say all they want to but it will fall false accusations as it comes back your way. I'm grateful today to have this verse about a good conscience. Romans says that our conscience bears witness. First Timothy chapter four, verse two, it says, "Our conscience can be seared." And that's what happens when people turn their back to God. And the gospel over and over, it it sears your conscience. Let me give you a real quick example. When people come to church and they feel that nudging of the Holy Spirit to make a move, whether it's to pray or to speak to somebody or to give their life to Jesus, and you say, No, not today, that sears the conscience. Those actions sear the conscience. And the next time you see somebody that you need to talk to or somebody uh, or the time the invitation is given and you don't come, the conscience is seared when you say, no, no, I don't, I'm going to wait another day. And the Bible speaks of our conscience being seared so much that we have no regard of what God is doing. That's a sad place to be in. Our conversation, our conscience is used as as a filter by God to know that when we are doing things with the right mind and the right heart and the right intentions, that He will honor those things in good conscience. I don't pray for somebody to get recognized. If If I do that, that's not in good conscience. I don't do something to get the glory. I want God to get the glory. And if my attitude is wrong, then that conscience is seared. Moving on to our last verse, and I know I'm moving along pretty quickly here, but it is time to quit. Look at verse number 17. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. There is a two-sided coin in this verse. And here's what I want you to hear. Some of the hardest words or some of the hardest things that we will deal with are the sufferings because we feel like we are doing the right thing. And we don't see the results because we think we're doing the right thing. Point number four is that you will suffer for the Lord. Now listen to me, Christian. Look at me, every one of you. I'm not here to ruin your Sunday I'm here to tell you the truth. If you are walking close enough to Jesus, you will suffer for that. There will be people that turn their back on you. There will be people that hurt you with what they say. There will be people in this day that lose their life for Jesus. Off of the American soil, there are people that are losing their life for Jesus. And I believe it's coming to American soil, maybe not in my day, but possibly in my kid's day or my grandkid's day, that they will see this. You will suffer. But the two-sided coin is this. If you do evil or wrong in God's eyes, you should expect to suffer. You should expect the consequences. We can see that in the prodigal son. As he went out and wasted everything, he came back to the Father, but when he came back, he had nothing. But the Father restored him. We see it in the life of David, the man after God's own heart. He made some horrible choices, and he suffered For those choices. He lost a child. He dealt with rebellion in his family. He faced hardships as he set out on his own way. So friends, if you are doing the wrong thing in God's eyes, you you better expect the consequences from that. But... We have the idea when we have, we're doing the right thing and we're following the Bible. Hey, I'm, I've got it made. These little kids this, this morning that were baptized, I hate to tell them it's not cupcakes and roses. It's not. And I'm telling adults today, it's not a smooth path promised till you get to heaven and then we'll all celebrate. No, some of you will have to go through the sufferings physically and spiritually in order to get that promise. But here's what Peter says. It is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well Doing the thorn was not taken from the side of Paul, and the thorn will not be taken from some of you. Here's what you need to do you need to put your eyes solely on Jesus and continue to move forward with Him. As I wrap up this sermon today. Suffering is going to be a theme throughout the rest of chapter number 4. Don't take the rest of the Sundays off, okay? Please don't. But here's what this scripture is teaching. Hold on just for a second. Here's what it's teaching me. There's a lot to learn when you go through the hard days of your faith. And it's in those days where your faith is not dwindled. It is built. And so today, as you think of where you are in your walk with the Lord. Maybe there may, you may be facing moments of hardship or difficulty at the moment. Here's where I'm going to ask you. Is God getting the glory? Because what I'm afraid, if He's not getting the glory, you may just stay there a little bit longer. Is God getting the glory from what you are experiencing? Maybe today you need to make things ready. I'm talking to the Christian today that needs to make things ready, not for a home in heaven, but putting Jesus on the throne of your heart. And out of that, you're prepared and ready to give an answer of the hope that you have in Jesus. Maybe there needs to be a Christian that just comes and says, God, I I know I'm not ready, but, but help me to get ready. Maybe that's a phone call I'll get this week or a text message or an email. If one of you will reach out to your pastor and say, Help me get ready. I will walk with you. I promise you. Today, maybe you don't understand why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. Are you ready to submit to God's plan no matter what that looks like? The greatest suffering in the room. It's the person that is here that may come week after week, time after time. And you don't have Jesus as your Savior. That is the heart that is suffering the most in this room or that is watching today. Deep down you feel the Holy Spirit at work and you have put Him off time and time and time again. You may feel like you've been too bad or too sinful or too unworthy but that knock is still on your heart from a Savior who loves you so and wants your life. Your heart. He wants to redeem you. Today, His finished work on the cross, the empty tomb, and a risen Savior. Give us a hope and something that is far greater than what we're going through. Is a hope that rests in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. So today, if you're sitting in this room and you've never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, that is the one that needs to come today and say, Yes, I need Jesus. Recognizing His blood, His life is the payment for that forgiveness of every and any and all sin. Today, Christian brothers and sisters, can we bow together in a moment as we gather our hearts, as we pray for one another, brothers and sisters, and as we give this moment of invitation to God and ask Him to lead in these moments today. May we pray. Father God, Lord, we give you these moments. And Lord, it has been a tremendous worship service. God, thank you for the lives that we've seen that have been changed by your work and your work alone. God, we pray over those lives, Lord, that those lives would be lived out fully in obedience and trust to you for the rest of their lives. God, today in this room, there may be someone or more, multiple people that just need to come before a holy God and, and, and seek direction for where they are and what they're dealing with and what they're going through. And they can only see the day's That they're in right now. Lord you know the big picture. God maybe there's somebody. That needs to come and kneel and bow. And say God I submit my life. I submit the big picture. To you. God take control of that. God prepare us. Make us ready. Every one of us. To defend the hope. That rests in our heart. That is Jesus Christ. Maybe there's a man or woman that in sincere honesty needs to come and say, I'm not ready. Lord, for that one heart that you're knocking on right now. God, I pray that one will just say yes today. We give you this moment of invitation. We ask you to lead now. In Jesus' name, amen.